Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. My name is James Fitzgerald and today I'm speaking with Tim Fassam, who is the Director of Government Relations and Advisor Body PIMFA. Tim, welcome to you. Thanks very much, James. Now, out of all the advisor bodies in the UK, PIMFA has been arguably the most vocal regarding positive regulatory change for advisors over the past 12 months. These lobbying efforts include reform to the FSCS levy and ways in which advisors would have greater access to PI insurance, just to name a few. In recent months, however, the online harms bill, currently being discussed in Parliament, is in your sights. Now, PIMFA and yourself are lobbying the government to include financial harm in the bill, which includes online investment and financial scams. Tim, so I've got to ask, what are you asking of the government and what exactly do you want them to include? Yeah, thanks, James. So this is a, a really important topic, um, especially during COVID lockdown, um, where people are, are sort of more vulnerable than they've they've ever been. And what we've seen um, in recent years that has been accelerated over the last twelve months is a significant increase in online fraud and online scams and what we found and what our members have found is they've been incredibly limited in terms of what they can do when that is Mm. found so for example we have one member where there was an out and out fraudulent website claiming to be them selling a, a mini bond in a major supermarket um, both were fake. This was just an out and out fraud to, to steal people's money. And it took them about six weeks to get that advert taken down. And we've even seen scenarios where the regulators and, and other government bodies have struggled. And this is partly because at the moment, there's very little formal legal responsibility on the uh, online search mm. engines and social media sites to do anything about it. And there's quite a variety of different types of fraud and scam. And the government has put forward the the online harms bill, and that's looking at really important issues like um, uh, looking at protecting children, protecting people from hate speech uh, against uh, libel. Um, But it has excluded economic harm. And so where your social media company or your search engine might have a legal responsibility now to intervene to stop um, hate speech or or, or grooming, as as is quite right, um, they will not have a formal legal responsibility to stop economic harm, stop people being being defrauded. And so we uh, want we think that's a gap that we want the government to to include in the bill. Um, and we're not the only ones. Um, you know, we had a, a conference a couple of weeks ago. We had Stephen Timms agreed with us, who's the chair of the Work and Pension Select Committee. Uh, most of our members and the other trade associations, the uh, Financial Services Compensation Scheme have called for this and organisations like WITCH and Citizens Advice. Um, So this is an area where almost everyone in the financial services environment wants to see this stopped. Uh, And um, so far, the government has resisted including this as one of the harms that those uh, tech companies have a specific responsibility Mm. to stop. Well, the FCA, it's been well noted that the FCA has limited powers to tackle online scams. And essentially, their only real option is to ask 
just for example, Google, Google or Facebook nicely to take obvious scam websites and advertisements down. How will the change to the bill fix that? So this is um, a really serious problem with um, uh, online companies actually profiting from scams. So there, there's an ad, you know potentially an advert, a paid for advert, um, advertising a scam, and no way really apart from the advertising standards agency, which has quite limited controls here. Um, for for the regulators or the organisations that are defrauded to intervene, um, and uh, I think even the regulators admitted they don't have the powers they need. Most of the existing legislation on misleading promotions was designed for mm. print or, or telephone fraud, old-fashioned boiler room scams and things like that. So what we have is a set of regulation legislation that haven't caught up with the times. And what we're seeing, and, and we can talk more about this, is sort of three main types of fraud. And the reason we need something quite broad in terms of a legal responsibility is each of these comes through a slightly different uh, mechanism. So we have impersonation fraud where... Um, a, a uh, someone is pretending to be a mainstream uh, financial services company. We have social media fraud where you will often have, you know, a photo of an attractive young lady or young man with a link to a legitimate financial services uh, site in their bio, and they will um, use what what's called social engineering. Uh, or, or a romance fraud or uh, a variety of different ways to link up with people on social media um, in order to defraud them while claiming some form of legitimate connection to, to financial mm. services. And then we get um, the, the sort of scams that are using um, celebrities or um, social media accounts. So you may remember a few months ago, Elon Musk's Twitter got hacked. Um, people were uh, told, you know, if you send me Bitcoin, I'll send you twice as much back. Uh, you'll see, um, you know, advertised news articles claiming that people like Martin Lewis or Gordon Ramsay have used a particular get-rich-quick um, scheme uh, to draw people in and give it a sense of legitimacy. Now, some have suggested that the um, the review of online advertising could deal with a lot of this problem. But what you'll see is actually two out of those three types of um, fraud won't be affected at all by an advertising ban because they are either uh, taking the form of a news article or they are um, utilizing social media as a individual. Uh, and they're pretending to be a specific individual rather than going through a traditional advertising mechanism. And what we found is that many of the social media companies use uh, an algorithm to identify problem uh, profiles. So if you do not have very large numbers of people complaining about uh, a particular profile, it can take a very long time to be taken down. And if they're claiming an association rather than specifically defrauding, um, so if they, you know, for example, have the link to a 
uh, a wealth manager or a financial advisor, they could just claim, oh, well, I'm a big fan of this company. Right. I was never implying that it worked for them. But we all know what they're trying to do and what they're trying to insinuate. There's also simply the matter of speed um, that actually by the time it's gone through a process, many people might have been defrauded. And the only people who have um, the access to have an overview of what's going on in their site and look at things like people being asked to transfer money or certain types of language, which we know comes up in fraud, are the companies themselves. So this isn't something that we can fix. It's not something the FCA mm. can fix. At the end of the day, it's, it's only the search engines and the social media firms that can do anything about this. Well, scams, you know, especially over the past 12 months with the COVID pandemic, you know, everyone's sitting at home and, you know, relying on the internet predominantly. You know, even according to statistics that Pimpha cited from Action Fraud last month, I mean, last year there were over um, 300,000 reported cases of fraud last year, um, which led to an estimated 2.1 billion loss to fraudsters. You know, how will this amendment to the bill, if it goes ahead, um, put more of an onus on the social media and internet companies to take action themselves? Yeah, so I think this would um, this would allow them to be held directly mm. accountable. I mean, it's not the whole solution. You know, I'm not going to pretend it's the whole solution. Those are some, you know, scary figures. Um, and we've seen uh, very low levels of funding for fraud, very low levels of investigation. The recovery rate on fraud is about 1%. And worryingly for, for our sector, increasingly we're seeing things that are either out-and-out out fraud or very near fraud, um, potentially falling onto the financial services compensation mm. scheme if the individual believes that they have had financial advice. So there is a whole range of mechanisms that are needed to truly deal with this. And we've been very supportive of the creation of a, a fraud action plan, uh, looking at how we can better coordinate between relevant bodies and properly resource the police and action fraud themselves to, to engage in this. But there will always be a limit if there is not a full legal responsibility for the organisations that are in effect facilitating a crime. There's no other area where you would be able to facilitate a crime and and walk away from any responsibility so that would mean there is the potential for individuals who were defrauded um, and uh, that the uh, companies did not follow their own duty of care to potentially take action against them for government bodies and organizations be that the police or be that the regulators to force organizations to take action um, that the, they are not currently, while they are taking some steps, they're not volunteering to go far enough or fast enough to really deal with this. So if we want to get these figures down, and, and remember that is, you know, many of these individuals, some might have got their money back from, from their bank, some will have utilised the FSCS, many will have lost their life saving. Mm. This is a story of tragedy uh, and you know it's a bit like burglary sometimes people think you know if the people get their money back is it really a problem but people you know there's real stress and psychological damage caused by fraud incredibly traumatic um which is obviously the other cost of this you know we're, we're just not going to be able to manage um manage that without a proper formal responsibility 
And one of the things we've seen in recent years with, um, you know, we, we were previously worried about, you know, pension unlocking fraud, which could um, lead you to do an unauthorized payment, very, very high tax bills. But that was relatively mm. small. The pension freedoms mean that it's far more normal for someone to have um, access to a very large amount of money, potentially more money than they've ever had direct access to before in their life. And they're very vulnerable. We have very low interest rates. Um, many uh, people are coming into retirement, say, without enough um, enough uh, in savings. So they're looking to get as big a return as possible. And they're tempted by by many of these offers that look like they um, they could uh, provide a fantastic return. Um, you know, be that, and they've seen the the potentially um, the the returns on Bitcoin. They may have seen some of the coverage of things like NFTs. They've looked at you know a lot of these get quoted with stock returns on Amazon or Apple. So they know there are these stories that are true that give it some credibility. But the old adage of if it looks too good to be true, it almost certainly is remains the case. But for many of these individuals, that will be a hard judgment for them to make. And so in the same way that we've seen, you know, the financial services industry taking responsibility uh, to prevent money laundering um, and to prevent fraud in, amongst their own customers, um, it's only fair that for the, the customers and users of, of these online systems, um, they they take appropriate responsibility for them as well. Is this really the only option, the amendment to the bill, or including online or financial harms into the bill? I mean, the FCA, I think it was early this year, in front giving evidence to the um, Working Pension Select Committee. You know, the FCA, the police, everybody just said, we don't have the resources, we don't have enough money, and the only way we can tackle this is greater resources and more money, um, which got you know interesting comments on our, on our comment board when we published that story, but... Is that just the basic truth? You know, they are underfunded. They don't have the resources to do it. So need the government to step in. Yeah, I think I think there is some truth in that, though there's also a degree of prioritisation. Mm. And um, one of the things we've called on with the regulator is for them to specifically look at both calls on the compensation scheme and uh, fraud as a way of prioritizing their resources um, because there is obviously always a choice about um, how you intervene and, and the balance between supervision and new regulation hasn't always mm. been the case um, within the police we've certainly seen uh, resource moved away from fraud despite the fact that it's growing and and uh, as you from the numbers you set out very substantial crime um so there are choices there so it's not um so there does need to be more resource but that doesn't necessarily come mean more money from taxation mm. or more money from, from the industry that can just mean changing priorities um but i think what it will definitely take is a new approach to coordination and a, a degree of prioritization from government from the police from the regulators from the industry in order to get down uh, to crack down on this and um as we've said and, and relates to this bill 
uh, that will involve taking in a much wider range of stakeholders than than say the good work that's been done on money laundering because there are simply elements of the process that we can't control and that will be the online firms but it will also be the phone companies um my you know there, there's uh uh, and a good a, a long running scam whereby people steal phones and then call um uh, high charge numbers uh, as a way you know it's not in in our space directly but it's an example of the kind of fraud that really only the telephone companies can do anything about and again you see that perverse incentive because they're incentivized they they can make money from that themselves um so this bill isn't the only way to approach it, and you could certainly um, find other ways of creating the relevant responsibility or giving appropriate powers to the, the regulator or others, but it's the most efficient and it's there in front of us. And I think there's a very real question for the government about why they are resisting something that has such universal support within our sector. You know, normally, if the consumer groups and the industry and the regulators all agree mm. on something, that's a pretty clear steer that there's something there. Um, so it's disappointing that there hasn't been a greater level of engagement with this issue throughout the process. And I appreciate that the original aim of the bill was to deal with other forms of harm. Um, they could, you know, they could have and could still bring economic harm into the process well you say they haven't been you know as well how responsive have they been um i mean you've got stephen timms on board you've got the fscs and you've got the regulators you've got you know everyone keen yeah. on change on this um is it just been a, a brick wall so far or is there you know room to maneuver so it's there's been quite a lot of pushback i think um one of the challenges is that uh, and this is uh often a challenge within government is is about responsibility so this is a bill that is uh has oversight from dcms the department of culture media and sport who are responsible for for online um with a sort of secondary department of the home office but fraud predominantly sits mm. in the treasury so i think there's just an issue of have the right people been round the table um from a sufficiently early stage and if I'm completely honest, any issue where you need to get government to coordinate across multiple departments is always mm -hmm. harder to achieve. Um, now, Treasury, you know, have listened, been very responsive. But at the end of the day, it's not their bill. Um, so it's not their their decision. Um, but that means that I don't think I think it's fair to say that I don't think either DCMS or the Home Office have involved enough of the financial services industry in this bill um, or um, really listen to the voice of the consumer groups who are um, equally worried about this kind of fraud. What are the next steps? If the government aren't playing ball, what's the plan? Yeah, so I think um, we've certainly been working to be more coordinated between the various groups and you'll have seen uh, last week we made a joint statement with which with the FSCS and with others um, because we think that that sh uh, show of unity is very powerful we'll keep raising this with politicians we raised it with members of the Treasury Select Committee only last week um, and we won't leave this if this bill does pass without um, economic harm being taken into account you know this is not gonna 
This is a long-term campaign from PIMFA. It's a key issue for our members. It's a key issue for, for customers. Um, and it's an important way of, of ensuring people have confidence in our sector because uh, the reputational damage done by fraudsters pretending to be part of the, the financial advice and wealth management sector. So we will continue to campaign with government, with the relevant departments, with the opposition, with um, the relevant committees to apply pressure until this issue is really dealt with. And I think there is growing concern that this isn't being handled appropriately. So I think the campaign really is only just starting at this point. Good to hear. Good to hear. And you know, hopefully there's some movement on the side of the government. But you know, watch this space. I mentioned earlier that PIMFA has been right at the forefront um, of another campaign, and that is the FSES levy and how that's funded. Mm. And that is now the levy has now you know pushed over one billion, which is you know, ast an astronomical number. Um, can you run me through yeah. your your campaign for that and what changes you want to see? So um, yeah, absolutely. We've done a lot of thinking about this, and the honest answer is that the FSCS levy is a symptom. And it's a symptom of a bigger problem with the uh, regulatory system. Um, we have a, a system where people are being regularly let down. Um, the regulator is not supervising the firms that are um, leading to these uh, costs appropriately. Um, we're not even we not even have the uh, detailed analysis that we need to truly understand what's driving these costs. And so we've made a number of recommendations. Um, some are short term and will help um, very quickly, but many are longer term and are about fixing this system to ensure that um, the number of, of failures where there is a uh, significant consumer issue is, is significantly reduced. And I think a core part of this has been trying to make sure that government and the regulator understands that this isn't about the industry versus mm. consumers. Um, we've all got the same interest. Every customer that goes into the FSCS has been let down. They've been failed and they've gone through something difficult and traumatic and unpleasant, even if they've eventually got that money back. And what that means is actually if we focus on prevention, everyone's interests are aligned. And this means we're doing work on the regulatory perimeter. We're doing work on the advice guidance boundary. We're looking at um, products. We're looking at the data that's provided so that we can ensure we understand what the drivers are. We're looking at the impact of unregulated products. And to be fair to the regulator, they have engaged with a lot of these suggestions through their call for input on the consumer investment market. And we're continuing to work with them and work on this issue to flesh out more detailed um, proposals. What we think would make an immediate difference, um, we've, we are calling on the Treasury to do, is to reallocate FCA fines to the mm. FSCS. So historically, FCA fines went to the FCA. There was a feeling from the government that created um, a, a problem because the, the FCA were incentivized to fine to, to increase their budget. Uh, and there was a bit of smoke and mirrors, if we're honest, where they made it look like that money was going to mm. charity, where in fact, actually only a relatively small amount of it was and the rest of it just went to the Treasury. So given that the government has been clear that they think there should be a polluter pays model, 
um, this is and that this should be an industry funded scheme. This is a way to keep those principles, but contribute uh, what would have been in the last year another, I think it's about 185, 190 million towards the cost of the compensation scheme. Now, will it fix the problem? No, it won't. But I think it shows a lot of goodwill from the government to recognise that there is a really serious problem here, that it's not fair to have all of this fall on the industry and to, to use this as a way of creating a bit of a buffer zone while that longer term change is implemented, uh, the longer term change that's needed. Um, what I think ha we have been pleased to see is we've now got the, the regulator, we've got the government all admitting that this is a problem and that this is unsustainable. So you will have seen at our, we held a conference, the PIMFA Virtual Fest, John Gladden, the city minister, and um, uh, Debbie Gupta from the FCA both said, this is not acceptable, mm. this needs to change. But again, it is a longer, you know, there are short-term fixes, um, but this is a long-term campaign that is going to mean um, regulating and supervising our sector in a different way, collecting intelligence in a different way, and a regulator that is more responsive to uh, whistleblowing and to the intelligence that they're collecting to crack down on poor behaviour where they see it. Well, the FCA, that's good timing with the whistleblowing comment. The FCA has put out um, an announcement today regarding whistleblowing that they're more... Um, want to be more active in that area. You've had, PIMFA have had a lot of meetings with the FCA and the Treasury over the past six months, say, about these issues. They seem to be listening. Yeah, I think they are. I think they recognise, and and to be completely honest, the Gloucester Review after um, uh, the um, LCF um, debacle uh, didn't give them mm. a lot of choice. Um, but I think there is a genuine desire under Nickel, the new CEO, to do things differently and to look at ways of being more effective. And I think they recognise that a pretty serious ball was dropped. Um, a lot of our members raised concerns about LCF. They've raised concerns in a number of other areas and haven't felt that they've been taken seriously. And this kind of market intelligence of what we're seeing the you know what we're seeing in terms of things we're concerned about potential customers engaging with um is really valuable to the regulator and should be a key part of their supervisory action um and identifying where they don't have the powers they need to intervene so one of the problems again with mini bonds is they didn't have the correct powers it took nearly five years for the treasury to put those powers into legislation we need a much faster turnaround much faster response but we're very pleased to see that and there are a number of other areas you know we saw that they're consulting on the 10 mm -hmm. rule with a mifid that frustrate a lot of our members uh, and are continuing the, the supervision which is an issue that uh, i think i first raised with them at my first week at pimfer a year ago um, and they again they do seem to be listening constructive and actually throughout the pandemic um, there has been a very grown-up relationship, I think, between the industry and the FCA. And one of the things we've made clear is that actually we want to see that approach of the industry and the regulator working together for a better outcome. And I think for consumers, um, very little has seriously gone wrong in our sector over COVID. So that more grown-up, more constructive approach on a whole host of issues, I think really creates the op uh, an opportunity for 
industry and regulators to work together in a sensible way that in the end benefits our customers. Mm -hmm.